one. All right. Hello, everyone. Oh, yeah, there we go. We're going quick. Oh. Get, get, get up there right away. Office hour 17, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time this time. We honored it. Very excited to be here. Short one person, Timothy. Uh, Timothy is uh, hacking away, doing some great stuff. And I'm sure, uh, you know what? He loves office hours. So I'm, I'm, this is something that he's excited about for him to miss that. So uh, I, I'm, I'm excited for him. Um, have a couple topics today. Uh, last time um, we did it, it felt much better overall that uh, everyone sort of brought a topic to the table. We have one person who did not bring a topic to the table. His name is Vassal Shaw. Uh, he's just riding, showing up, disobeying, you know, the rules and, and causing chaos in the office hours. But, well, I think he'll make a good contribution. Sometimes it's good to make the rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, no real updates on my side, but this is speaking of office hours. Do this every 12, at 12 p.m. every Friday. Um, maybe just quick introduction. My name's Tyler. One of the original creators behind SpeakAI. Very passionate about voice technology, merging that all together. Uh, shout out to my my friend, J. Cole. He's not my friend, but I wish he was. Released in the hip hop album today. Uh, listened to it in the morning. It helped me set a new uh, pace per kilometer in my run. So thank you, J. Cole. Uh, wonderful stuff. Um, huge lover of hip hop and language. So to bring this all together uh, makes makes me very happy as a person. I'll let anyone else jump in and just say a quick hi before we uh, jump into some of the topics here. Sure. Hi, I'm Lauren. I am the staff gun and HR specialist and security officer, I suppose. Um, yeah, happy to be here. Chat about all sorts of tech stuff with all these interesting people. Hello, everyone. I'm um, Watson I'm CTO at SpeakAI. Apart from speak, I do a lot of work on the machine learning, AI, voice tech, voice tech, and uh, build a couple of applications on the Google Assistant Alexa and the voice and uh, mixing up to help people. That's a great beauty and uh, uh, just wish to continue for next uh, two decades. I think I know when Vatsal's retiring in two decades. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll jump in real quick. Uh, Leon here. Uh, I'm a product manager, uh, previously a UX person, strategist, researcher. Uh, I'm helping uh, Tyler and the team hone in on product strategy. We're looking for growth this year. And that's something that, that we're all really excited about um, and a bit of UX work. So excited to be here uh, and excited to be here on office hour number 17. Yeah, Michal, uh, digital strategist here at Speak AI. Uh, this is my well, sixth week now, yeah, coming up on six weeks. Oh, Time wow. flies. Yeah, um, but, but it, it's been good. Uh, a lot, a lot of things have been done, and my my hope is to just uh, help us grow and help other, you know, help new people discover discover Speak, and like all the things Speak can do for them. Beautiful. Okay, a couple a couple topics uh, that uh, that are you know have emerged here. What, one of the ones I'll just say quickly: Leon's done a fantastic job helping us. <laughs> we're we're working on some stuff with uh, a dashboard redesign, and that moment that felt like we were going to move into a dangerous area where I was like, oh man, this is going to be tough for us to agree on that. And uh, in the end, a lot of alignment came together. So look forward to some of that work and and just seeing the impact of having someone like Leon. Um, you know, with intention, 
with um, a, a beautiful level of like forcefulness and then also understanding when to just let things flow, um, you know, align all of us and do some magic. So thank you again, Leon. Very uh, excited for all that and excited for some of the changes that I, I do believe are going to contribute to growth. And we're going to talk about that in some of the upcoming office hours here as well. Everyone has a topic, uh, I guess, that they want to talk about. Does anyone want to go first? Anyone have a little burning desire to get their topics, uh, you know, uh, thrown out here first so we can we can chat about it? I volunteer Leon to go first since he missed last uh, speaks office hours. Okay. Amazing. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, Lauren. Uh, by the way, Tyler, it's an honor. Honestly, it's a it's been an honor. So, it, it the. Uh, things just feel like you know they're they're natural when when everything just aligns the team aligns the problem space aligns and uh, and we're trying to solve the right problems so uh yeah so i'm here to um actually start going back to uh what we're talking about today my first topic would really just be we've been bootstrapping for the most part uh, i would say 99 percent uh, to this point uh, and, and how far we've come is indescribable in words. But at the same time, a lot of startups are uh, going after the venture route or trying to get some funding of sorts. So my topic today is, is um, bootstrapping, letting your customers pay for your innovation and growth versus some form of equity funding or financing. Um, there are various forms nowadays. There's democratization of that, which leads to crowdfunding um, from time to time. But there's so many different channels of funding and we've been bootstrapping. So that's, a, I think, a really important topic. And also, also with, I think we're at a, t a cusp of looking forward to more uh, cash, in, uh, cash injection. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this, this seems like a critical point where we should uh, just chat about it. Anyone want to follow up with? Uh, just maybe just to lay some context for Speak AI and, and funding <clears throat> to, to date. So. Um, and so Speak officially started in January 2019, and it had really emerged from some of the work that I was doing at 6.5, which was the sole proprietorship that I ran was sort of a, a marketing, this was a marketing agency. I did a lot of experimentation and website development and analytics work and built up a bit of a customer base with that. And uh, as I was doing that, I started to see a lot of patterns and sort of data and analytics, and I thought, you know, I, I really love media. A lot of companies are moving towards multimedia production and there's a lot more power in, you know, how there's a lot better ways we can manage this process. And I started to put some things together, um, much more technology driven with this idea of, you know, for, for years reading, I guess as an, as an agency structure, you always have this idealistic view of, I would love to build software so I can stop doing custom work. So that was like one of the big drivers. And that is a naive driver because everything is grass is greener. Like I talked to software teams who wish they had just have an agency structure so they can get, you know, cash, but like that sort of drove me. And as I was ideating, we had some wonderful people around me. One of them was Jeff Van Heumann from uh, Ontario Centers of Excellence, now Ontario Centers of Innovation. And there was a program called Smart Start Seed Fund, which was a $30,000 uh, Canadian grant that was non-refundable. And they said, Tyler, I've seen you at least trying to hack away now with the help of Vatsal on some sort of AI speech to text transcription automated analysis um, kind of work. And they said, we're really looking to help companies grow or invest in companies who are doing that work. So they invested that $30,000 and really 
that investment was the seed investment that created the work in the start of Speak AI. A few months later, we did a, a Western accelerator and, uh, program, which was 12,000 Canadian. So 42,000 Canadian was really the kickoff of what we did, as well as the revenue that was already being generated through 6.5, which was in the final year, pretty, like, pretty decent, had a contribution, and that allowed us to grow. Um, so I, I should stop talking here, but just quickly, last couple of insights from that. The problem that continually bumped up to in that bootstrapping journey, I think is because I was managing clients through marketing revenue, I didn't always get to do the business developments or stuff that I wanted to do specifically around speak. So that's actually slowed down some of the growth. And I've seen that as an ongoing trend and even companies still coming to us asking if we can help with marketing and us sort of struggling to say, uh, do we take on this work or do we not? Because it injects cash into our business and allows us to continue to grow as we sort of organically grow speak as we see the search engine rankings come together and as we validate the product and the problems that we're solving. Um, yeah, I'll start up for a, a second there, but that sort of lays a little bit of groundwork. We've also had some funding from IRAP, which has been wonderful, amazing support from them. And then also leveraging Shred because uh, we do a lot of custom development work. So it opens us up for some tax credits. Yeah. Um, bootstrapping to me has always got some sort of um, a bit of a fairy tale intonation to it. Like bootstrapping, you think you're like a renegade. You're going out into it alone. Uh, you're carving your path. You're making your sales and you're totally independent and um that's probably the reality for a lot of companies out there but uh not so much uh for us especially like in the tech uh, in the tech world uh it's very much um we have a lot of support just from like the government from different institutions oce uh for all these different grants all these different subsidies and uh, all these different um like uh, refundable tax credits um so it has been very much like we have found our own uh, like our own niche, we have our own customers and we have, you know, developed and like prepared this business. We've like set a good foundation, but to say like we did that all ourselves is a bit, um, is a bit selfish in a way. There has been a great deal of, uh, of support just from even, not even just like monetary support, just from like the amount of advisors, the amount of people we've, uh, we've met along the way who have helped us a great deal. And, um, I think they have to be really be, uh, we have to really show our respect to that. Uh, as far as like bootstrapping versus equity, uh, I think it definitely depends on a lot of different factors. Uh, when you're getting into equity, you can go into equity like right away. I think bootstrapping um, initially is a great way to test the waters, figure out like what is going to work. And then that kind of really puts you in a good position for when equity does come along. Um, just because within the tech space, again, when it comes to equity financing, uh, it depends on like your certain needs. Like if you need equity right away because you're focusing more on like hardware, like, yeah, you're going to need a lot of money to even develop a prototype for that. But uh, we are very, um, uh, we're very resourceful. We use a lot of cloud stuff. We use, we don't really have a lot of assets to be honest. So uh, I don't even think we really need that money. Uh, though I brought that up in the last, uh, office hours about all the different uh, hardware like wearables that we can look into but uh, even those are not uh, particularly expensive um, for equity for us I think it becomes more a matter of when we really feel comfortable with everything that we're doing we know like we can be a successful company we've hit product market fit perfectly we know exactly who we're going towards 
and we just uh, we need equity financing more for uh, you know rocket shipping growth to really fire up the engines, uh, put the pedal to the metal, and really like test all of our foundation that we set up. So um, I'm excited for what that brings. It would love I'd love to be bootstrapping all the way through, and just be you know again renegades, but this is a society we live in and we all have to work together and rely on each other. And um, yeah, we'll see what the future brings there. So that, uh, it is also like the hard process when you do the bootstrapping because you, you need a trusted team when you go through that path. Because if, if, you, if you lose in that process someone, that would create a, a little bit of, I would say a little bit of hurdle throughout the process. And uh, I don't want to comment anything on the bootstrapping or the uh, investment, but I do have one quote, which I want to say here. Uh, it's like, most people don't start. Either most people who start don't continue. Most people who continue give up. And uh, at the end, many winners are just the last ones standing. So just keep doing, uh, either you do the bootstrapping or either you do investment. It's like, you just have to keep doing, just don't give up. And Leon, like, I mean, Leon, I'll jump in if you want, but also Leon, you've had a little bit, I would say out of everyone in the group, more experience with, um, I guess, you know, fundraising, financing of companies. I'm interested just to hear from your own experience and perspective, what, what you're thinking on this topic. For sure. And thanks for calling that out. Uh, love that quote, Vatsal. It's like, uh, they, they call startup founders, I think the most successful ones, cockroaches, because um, they just exist forever. <laughs> Like, as, as far as dinosaurs go, I mean, like, cockroaches have outlived every species on Earth. Um, every, like, I guess, um, somewhat developed species on Earth. So, yeah, that, that's like a, a really, I think, joking term for, for resilient founders. And that's just a different way to look at it. Um, in terms of, in terms of uh, my experience, as far as I know, the only really successful, at least in North America, the only really successful tech enabled uh, product or service, or I guess it's a conglomerate now, really it's MailChimp that has been like, that has not taken any, any outside funding. So they're 100% private owned by the founders. Only one that sticks out to me would be uh, Zapier. Zapier um, did it for a long time. I think they just took on some investment, but they crazy bootstrapping story uh, there. That's the only other one that sticks out to me right now. Very interesting. So I, I assume, I mean, these companies, you can describe what they do in one, one sentence. Like the founders, either engineers or, or marketeers um, or whatever craft or skill they specialize in, when they've found a specific market niche and they just like triple down or quadruple down on it, um, they've bet their entire lives on it pretty much. I'm, I'm sure they took a bit of pivoting to get to where they are today. Um, but uh, yeah, those are crazy examples, right? But the vast majority vast, vast, vast majority, the most successful startups, they all, they've all somehow managed to get support. Um, we've all heard horror stories about um, founders and investors, you know, uh, sorry, horror stories about founders, between founders and investors. Uh, I want to shed some light around who, who VCs are and what, what backs them. So VCs essentially are just brokers. They, uh, they have, they have general partners called GPs, right? That they're, they're the, I'm just gonna make an assumption that um, 
this is the baseline that we're talking about. And I know that some of you might know more about this or our audience might know more about this, but the general partners are the GPs and they manage the VC firm. They just manage a broker, brokerage. Uh, and what then they did, they make a shitload of money because they manage the brokerage. It's because they throw like uh, a large chunk of money at 50 to 100 companies a year. They go through a thousand pitch decks a week. Um, and what's behind all this money are, are like really powerful and rich people around the world. They could be managing funds for pension funds, which are in the hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, great, great example of that is Omer's. Um, that's a pension fund. Uh, they could be family offices, like of really rich individuals. They could be, uh, this is kind of a joke, but it's actually quite, quite shocking, but Russian oligarchs, really rich Asians, or um, and any, any, any person really that has a conglomerate that has generated a massive amount of wealth over their lifetime, they want to preserve that wealth and see 30% growth, they can either, these individuals or groups of people, they can either form um, their own, let's say, syndicate, but they, they're throwing money either in hedge funds, which are guaranteed like 20 plus percent return year over year. Most, ex uh, most exciting or uh, successful example of that is Ray Dalio's Bridgewater Associates. For the past 30 years, they've generated more, like on average, more than 30% year over year, uh, making him the most successful hedge fund founder and hedge fund manager in the world, um, his firm in, in general. Or they throw them into venture capital. In the past, I think, 20 years, we've all like see the, the boom of VCs. Uh, and so really what VC does is they, they, they help funnel the fund into the right directions. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's what it is. So all VC wants, want to see are, are they betting their money or their partners, their limited partners money, they're called LPs, limited partners money on the right teams and the right founders, the right problem space um, that are disruptive enough. Why tech? Well, simply because in 10 years you can do a lot with automation. Um, not hardware as much, not nearly as much. Like Peloton's an interesting intersection of that. But uh, yeah, like the, the, the software space is much more scalable. It's probably the only real scalable thing that you can see a return within seven to 10 years. And so therefore they push at a later stage, they start to push you to try to go exit it, exit your company, right? So we've seen so many IPOs in the past six months. It's hard to believe. Roblox, uh, Bumble, you know, Airbnb. I just, it's, I can't name all of them off the top of Coinbase. So you have this idea of like, in five to seven years, we have this pressure to want to get somewhere. And that goal is to either sell the company, get acquired or go public. Uh, and maybe the founders will then retreat um, or hire a CEO or president of some sorts and, and, and do something else of their own. That would be their massive exit. So there's a product market fit between the founder who wants to exit within 10 years and the, and the rather, sorry, the supply and demand. The demand is the founder wanting to get a lot of money in a short period of time. The supply uh, are really rich individuals or high net worth individuals behind VC firms that want to see 30% year over year growth. Uh, that's the sort of general picture around venture capital. Um, it's not much more complicated than that. People can tell beautiful stories and, and create narratives for everything, but that's essentially what they want to see, growth. You know, um, and then there's this other segment of people that I just um, haven't had the opportunity to really interact with. And they're uh, pre-seed investors or angel investors that truly believe in you or your team or your company. Um, and they actually offer just as much resources, potential partnerships, 
and, uh, and additional funding opportunities down the road as much as they're investing their, let's say, $10,000 to $20,000 as an angel investor. So the angels are typically very strategic investments. So that's a different ball game. And they come really early into, I think we're about two years old uh, since inception. Um, I think we're ripe for angel investment if they're strategic enough. Let's say we want to focus on the marketing space. We find really, really brilliant angels that have done a lot of work. Let's say they've they've put down their money uh, uh, somewhere. What's like what's a great marketing tech software? HubSpot or um, you know Copy.ai. These are market, marketing focused technologies, right? We find angels that have that domain knowledge and we want to be able to um, reach out to them and say hey you know we're also disruptive and, and we're looking for strategic investments so it's different than what VCs actually want out of the whole the whole picture I'll leave it at that yeah very nuanced very nuanced Leah um, trying to think what sticks out to me um, from that there's a I guess a couple there's one of the you know I have a I have a sort of uh, in, in, in inside me, there's this sort of anarchist, uh, and in, in that way, I, I you know, I, I I dislike, I like the idea of what uh, uh, Lauren talked about to start this like renegade, uh, you know, just figuring it out yourself. But as you grow, you get a little bit older, like like it's exactly what Lauren said is like, you realize you just can't do everything by yourself, you know, and, and it becomes very clear. And also, even for example, just in the last. Few, little while adding like Leon, you coming and helping us out. And then Nihal, it's like, wow, I wish we had had more help all the time. It could have avoided a lot of mistakes. It could have, you know, it could have really helped with growth. It could have given us more feedback and helped us create a learning loop a lot quicker. And you start to see those uh, barriers. And you also start to see friends around you or companies around you who um, took investment, whether intelligently or not, sort of accelerate. And, uh, and, and so not only does, you know, investment become a way to, you know, grow in terms of internally an organization, it's also become really, it's become a, a marketing tactic to acquire really good talent. It creates a competitive edge and it, it also seems to help companies actually get towards one of those exits that they look at, whether that is a private acquisition, um, or, you know, or moving towards the IPO, you need to have that sort of you have to start that process. One of the people at the DMZ always told me, it's like getting on a treadmill. The treadmill is already moving and then you can't get off the treadmill. Like you just sort of start running and running in that process. And I think you touched on some really nice things about the timelines, like a typical fund is seven to 10 years. And so there's a lot of sort of these things that you want to think about if you are accepting funding of like, where is that fund in that seven to 10 year process? And how much have they generated returns back? Because even the people who are investing that money, as far as I know, don't, they don't get to make their own money until they've created, until they've paid out the people who have invested in them. So a lot of like VC firms are, they fail. Like a, it's, it's, a, it's pretty crazy the number of them that are betting and not getting these bets right. And I do think that's a big part of why we see the core level when they talk about it is like, is the problem a big enough problem? Is the market big enough? And is the team really good? You know, like those things are huge differentiators. And then, you know, next part of that, which is do, is there any traction already? Do they have any validation? Do they have prototype? Does anything work? Does anyone ever paid them for the product? These things start to separate. And if you can get, get there, then you can create a lot more, um, 
interest and you can de-risk. Like really, if, if you're a company, what are you trying to do? You're trying to de-risk an investment. So they feel more comfortable or safe putting that money into you. In terms of where we are as a team, I think we've de-risked investment in a lot of ways. I think there's still a lot of work that we need to do around our platform and tech, but at least we've seen validation. We've seen people sign up for annual plans. We've, you know, solved a couple solution, you know, problems. Maybe everything's not polished, but we've seen that. I think where we see challenges is like, okay, great. You've got revenue and, you know, growing revenue, but a lot of this doesn't always come through the software. And that can also be a sort of scary thing as an investor saying like, what are you doing? Who, who, what problem are you trying to solve? What, you know, uh, are you an, a service company and do you truly want to be a venture back company that can grow exponentially? Or are you just serving people's needs and hoping to get some, some cash out of it? Um, that's all I got for now. There's I mean, I have lots of things that I could say on this. I don't know if we want to be like wary of the whole, whole time of this conversation or what, what you guys are thinking. Cause I could, you know, I, I, I do, I'm very passionate about this stuff. And one of the books that sticks out to me, just, I, I, get, I bought this for that's all at one point uh, was Rand Fishkin's lost and founder, which Rand Fishkin was the founder of Moz and went through the venture journey and shares that it gives me goosebumps thinking about it how he's i just love that guy so much how transparently he shares about that journey and uh <clears throat> the goods the bads where he ended up from that and then you know his new company and how he's formatted the investment in that company very interesting sort of format of it um and and again you can you can you can you can do it the right way or you can do it the wrong way. And that's just life in general. You have to live with the decisions that you can make. You have to get the money uh, where you need it. And if you are confident in yourself and you believe in yourself, you're gonna figure something out. And I, I believe in what we've done to date. And I believe that, you know, we've been so cost, we've been so capital efficient already. And if we keep that energy and mindset, then we will continue that. And I think even that, when they when people look at companies, are they capital efficient? Can they get towards profitability or break even by themselves? That's a huge indicator of that's a worthwhile to invest in that team. So um, yeah, lots of lots of interesting, lots of interesting things there. Anyone else want to jump in on this? And then uh, if not, we can uh, move on to another topic. No, I think we said quite a bit enough. <laughs> okay. Want to give Nihal a chance to talk to? Yeah, yeah. Ooh, it, I mean, it actually does loop into Nihal's theme. That gets me excited. Leon, we can jam about that another time too, because that's 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 great. It's great stuff. Um, Nihal, though, I think this actually connects a little bit with what you're talking about. But we'd love to hear sort of the topic that you're bringing to the table today and what you're thinking on your end. Cool. Yeah. I mean, mainly didn't jump in there because I, I don't think I'd have any uh, like anything I say wouldn't be a value add. It would have been more questions. So, so just, just held my tongue a bit there. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought it would be interesting uh, with all the changes we're making to, you know, uh, our website, our app, uh, you know, we're doing a bit of work with restructuring. Um, so it's like, you know, how important are brand and voice guidelines uh, for an organization, for a company? How early should those be implemented? Um, like, is there a point where it's maybe too late to implement them? Um, or, you know, like, does that fit into rebranding? Um, so, so at its core, um, what, because one thing I've noticed, for instance, from my short time here is, I, I think we have a brand voice that is really just Tyler. 
<laughs> right. And it, it, that, that comes with its pros and cons. Um, and, but then it's like, how, how, how do we take that, uh, standardize it across our platform, that being our website, any messaging, uh, our, in, our actual app uh, language that we use? Um, and how do we get, for instance, how do we get the entire team to have the same voice when we talk about things? Um, how do we get the entire team to rally around a common message? Right. And we kind of went through this struggle a bit when we were doing the descriptions for our listings, right? Where I, I'm sure I can go into toggle and see how many hours we spent on that. But, you know, to write 500 characters uh, in my head probably shouldn't have taken that long. But I, I think part of the issue there is um, the fact that there don't um, existing brand guidelines don't exist for us. And in a way that feeds into a lot of the work we've been doing now. And uh, yeah, so, so I, I guess the, the question out of all of this is how do we um, a standardize our voice and brand guidelines? So that could be on the copy side, that could be on the actual design language of, um, of our app. Uh, and how do those work into communicating what Speak does? Um, as a software, as a company, as a, uh, this is our lifestyle now, right? Like build, building this, this company is, is part of our lifestyle. So how, how do we, um, how do we package that into a nice, nice little, easy to understand messaging for, for us to follow, as well as for the people we're trying to serve, uh, to follow as well. Yeah, Sorry, that was, that was like six trains of thoughts, but okay. I tried to bring it back. <laughs> Lauren, go ahead. Yeah, just some more context too. This is a conversation we've had quite a bit over like the last uh, two years of, um, are we okay with the speakai.co brand? And uh, if not, should we really be advertising ourselves? Should we really be promoting ourselves? If like, you know, in the next little while, we're just going to be uh, changing it over anyways. Um, I'm not really familiar too much with websites and like how detrimental it is to have a .co um, I'm not even sure like what .co refers to because like .com, even .com I don't really know, but like .ca is like a Canadian website, .gov, it's a government website, uh, .io, I know that that's at least a bit more techie, I'm just confused what .co even refers to. I believe it's Columbia. <laughs> and, and I mean, there's, there are some hilarious sort of like, you know, Notion, Notion is a .so, right? It's like there's some hilarious companies that have ran with not considered top level domains, uh, you know, and been very successful. Now, that's, I don't think that's an easy thing. Like, um, I was listening to a podcast yesterday with Seth, it was actually Seth, Seth Rogen, and they were trying to build his company brand. And really, one of the biggest reasons why he called it houseplant was because they could get houseplant.com. Like one of the biggest things that they tell you is if you can get the dot uh, truthfully, I mean, I've, I've said that I don't, it doesn't matter to me to say it publicly. I struggle, I struggle with our brand. I struggle with the name. Like I sort of told the story of how we even got funded and how that started. Part of that was, we really like what you're doing. The only way we can give you this money is if you start in a, a corporation. 
and I had gone through like so I was like I have to pick a name uh and you needed to have I like I wanted to have speak I had looked at even at speakeasy there's a bunch of bars and and stuff you know uh you know there and and then they said I couldn't just choose speak I needed to add a modifier on it and so that became AI and I'm like at the very least one of the other lessons I had learned was if you don't know if you can't come up with a good brain, at least make it self-explanatory. At least when people hear speak AI to like speech and AI, uh, it makes sense, you know, but then we run into all the gaps where it's like, but you also have text. You don't speak text. There's, there's a lot of gaps, uh, people spelling like Vatsal's seen this and knows the, the, one of the banes of my existence. I've had breakdowns about it sometimes is when someone links or domain wrong in an email consistently, um, AI, a or the I capital I versus small I. Uh, I've had people introduce us to someone who is a well-renowned person, and in the, the domain was speak.ai that they sent it to, which is just a broken link that went nowhere. And even Leon searched for speak the company, and he's like, "Where are you guys?" And it's like, "It's speak AI." It's like I didn't know that. And <laughs> so to me, like the thing that I guess will be there is like there's an awareness of this. It's not like. It's not aware, like we're all, we, we know this and it hurts and we've ideated other ideas. I think not only do we need to think of a brand perspective now, but it also to me, and that's what probably would agree, it could be a technical nightmare to even switch over to a new domain. Like that alone, it's not just a website anymore with no software to switch to a new, like we're, if we're ever going to do that, it's going to be with money behind it. And it's only going to happen once. And in general, the companies that I've seen successful did a lot of work to identify why they chose the brand, the, the, the mission behind that and everything before they moved forward with anything else, where we were much more iterative and experimented. experimental, which again, we got started and it's gotten us this far but that's not without challenges so i'll i'll stop there yeah <laughs> Let, let's go a few years back and uh when i started uh in december 2019 and then officially we incorporated in jan 2019 the same story connects the tariffs to uh, dodge but uh when uh, i started when when we deploy our first server uh, it was on speakeasy.com speakeasytechnology.com speakeasy.technology something and uh so that was the first server and that was the domain we used to have speakeasy. We still own the domain, but uh, Ty, I don't know if you remember, but that was our first domain and first website deployment happened. And uh, in Jan, uh, even that was at that time, that was not much, it was a few servers, but even switching to the speakeasy.co, switching the DNS, uh, the server domains, it was a little big work. But uh, what I want to say here is, I was listening a few podcasts on one of one was on the Spotify and one, another one was on the Facebook. I also sent you the channel. And uh, I mean, they, they were like the, they were talking about the branding and the design system, uh, which is a little bit different design system, but still it, it tells the story, it tells about the company, it's tell about the sentiment and emotions of the company, in those messages. And uh, in the Spotify one, they talk about, they used to have, I think so, if I remember exact number, it was around 100 plus decent system throughout this last 10 years. So they changed their branding color, they changed the Spotify green color hex code because they wanted to define differently year over year because they want to change the language because many, they, they also evolve a lot, right? So so us, because we, we didn't have the text piece before what Tara talked about and now we do have text. Now the speak AI may be a little bit contradict about talking audio, video and text or maybe what we are doing with this embeddable recorder and stuff. So 
I don't know, in my view and what I study, what I learn from my experience, it is sort of a little bit of ongoing process because what you started on day one, it is not be like in five years, it's going to be the same story. You always evolve your work, your technology, your mission, because you always try to go above then from the day one, right? Because when Facebook started, the story was different. And now they are global. They are trying to achieve different goals. So yeah, it is sort of an ongoing process, but when to make those decisions, that's a critical part because you need to consider a lot of variable uh, when you when you switch those things. We looked at a couple different quickly, just a couple different domains and stuff. Like one of the domains we have is sessions.ai. And that was sort of cool. Like, you know, it made sense for a lot of things. But one of the things that I believe is that I actually would love to get away from the AI as being the core driver. You know what I mean? Like, like I, why, I would love a whole holistic brand that represents something without having to shove the AI in it. Because AI will be inclusive of everything as we move into the future. You know, there's these phase of startups or companies where everyone just packs on the, the buzzword of the term. And I never wanted to be that company. I just got stuck into a situation and had to make, make a choice. And then there was another domain that we looked at. There's a .com still available, but the struggle was when we showed it to a couple of people, it was a pretty good one. Won't say it out loud right now, but people couldn't figure out how to pronounce it. So that's a, a, a little bit different of a challenge, but at least there was a .com available and it was a nice thing, but it was also wasn't as representative of the company. And then one of the only advices I ever got that not, no, I got many good advices. What stuck out to me was when I started six, five, uh, interactive, which was my first like sole proprietorship marketing agency. They're like, never choose a company with numbers in the name. Uh, and that was another lesson that sort of stuck out to me. Um, so I'll never make that mistake. <laughs> okay. Leon, what's uh, up buddy? A couple of points real quick. Uh, first thing that came to mind was um, some of the modern day products that are really successful were not based on brand, but based on their product led uh, growth, which means that it doesn't matter what their URL is. As long as you get your hands on the product, you can start using it. Um, I think what comes down to the, the most basic core principle is do people all share the common language out there, right? Does your audience share the common language as uh as, as you do internally. And so what is that common language? One of the problems that we see um, sort of related to this is the current, I think the two best, some of the best tools in the world, the two best tools are Miro and Muro. And they sound exactly the same, especially in meetings. It's like, oh, like it's on Miro. It's like, what? Miro or Miro? Miro.com, like M-I-R-O.com is, um, I think the, hands down the best whiteboarding tool in the world. They're venture back right now. Muro.co, M-U-R-A-L.co has been the leading whiteboarding solution until Miro rebranded, I think. Now it's just so freaking convoluted. It's like Shopify or Spotify. People get that shit mixed up all the time. Um, so that, but I think ultimately, if your product speaks for itself, if it grows organically and it grows um, with continuously adding value to where the customers are moving towards, um, but the jobs to be done does not change, right? I think it's fine. Um, ultimately, people will still like, still uh, gravitate towards what your product is offering. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing that came to mind was just this disaster story. I thought it'd be fun to share. Uh, a local company in Toronto, which was previously venture-backed, uh, sorry, which was, they, they've, they ceased to exist, so they died. 
but uh, they used to be called Logo Joys. They used uh, they used machine learning to you know the story, Tyler. Awesome. They used machine learning to help generate like a startup logo or whatever you know small business logo, and then they <laughs> they raised I think Series A. They rebranded to Lupa Luca Luca. Anyway, so they, their entire uh, SEO system crashed, and so they lost like fifty percent of their traffic overnight. Um, and then they had no customers. Company shrunk from like forty people to like six people or eight people. I happen to know the head of marketing there previously. Um, he told me the story from the insider perspective that I almost cried um, and laughed at the same time. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, it's it's a one-off story. We shouldn't use that as a benchmark, but uh, just wanted to share that. It was a great company too. Like for what they were doing, I remember when they made that switch, and I was like, "Why did they do this?" From an outsider perspective, yeah. <laughs> I was like, "What?" <laughs> about what they're, what they're um, using funding for, right? The venture funding. So that's one the disaster story that could uh, <clears throat> And it also points to what you're saying. And uh, Nihal, I don't know if we've answered your question, but uh, we talked about somewhat technically the difficulty, for example, for Vatsal to make a change, but also the SEO technicality of switching brand and domain. Uh, like there can be nightmares in that journey. And as you said, lots of loss. Uh, Neil, do you want to recenter us at all? Is there any, anything that you would do? We need to do you want to talk about the, the PKI piece for Nihal? Is like uh, the PKI company, uh, the connection to the Microsoft and uh, uh, that, that was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, okay. Yeah. Quickly, just to add one more layer of confusion into all of this. Well, there's a couple, there's other people think of the name. I mean, speak, everyone wants to speak. They're all, you know, whatever. But there, so there was different kinds of speaks, but then there was also Speak AI, which is now rebranded as Semantic, which was uh, the opposite of what we were doing. They're, we were speech to text and they were text to speech. Uh, amazing company. They've grown and they're the first company to do like realistic synthesized crying and synthesized yelling uh, through voice. And one day, I'll, this is my story around them, I guess, is that I got a request from Ubisoft uh, about using creating 5,000 voices for their upcoming video game. Um, and I was like, to Vatsal, I'm like, I guess we're... <laughs> <laughs> a text-to-speech company now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I forwarded that message on to the the owner of that company. And for someone, for an owner of a company who had the same name as you, the nicest person, Zarina. That like, what a, a delightful exchange for someone that you would think. And then there was another uh, one last speak AI, speak.ai, the real true dot doma domain was, uh, I don't even know how that journey goes, but it goes all the way back up to nuance and Oracle and that, uh, and for some, some way this, this was a domain that was bought. There is some technology being built around this. We've never seen anything really come out of it. Um, but you know, just like you run into a world where everything is almost, it's very hard to be original. It's very hard to come up with something net new in this world and you have to make those decisions and you have to do the best you can with whatever you're doing. But I'll, I'll just give one last example to it. Uh, uh, one person I know works for one of the fastest growing companies in, in uh, Canada, you know, working with deals, doing like massive work for Shopify and, and big companies, tell all the big companies you can think of. I went to their website the other day and it's just like non-existent. Like it didn't matter. It, it was the connections they had built, the value they were producing. You know, it, it doesn't matter. So if you're solving problems for people, people overlook that. It's like, are you doing your job? Are you doing it right? And are you producing value? Uh, that can get you very far um, uh, without the, the branding part. But uh, the branding part would be nice to have. <laughs>
So we're working on it, Nihal. Well, you're working on it, <laughs> mostly. Anything else you want to add, Nihal? And then uh, uh, Lauren has the last topic of the day. Uh, I think I'm, I'm good. Uh, oh, de definitely an ongoing, ongoing conversation. Do you, do you see why I'm tortured? Do you see why I can't sleep at night? Um, oh, sure. I, I, I think <laughs> like to, to, to that earlier message I sent you, right? I, I think it's just doing it in like also to Vetzel's point about iterating, right? So obviously we can't do a brand overhaul, but we can do like a internal voice overhaul, right? Or like just creating like copy guidelines, like little things like that's that slowly with what we already have, just, just kind of centering us around a... Uh, around a specific topic, like a specific voice, sorry. One, one thing that I feel like we got right and you helped even make more was like, focus on white minimalism and clean, even though people sometimes hate the green because it's too uh, highlightery. I, I'm colorblind. I helped pick that green. So I was the worst person you could possibly pick uh, okay. to do that. It was down in the, ba the basement of Innovation Works. <laughs> and I was like, is this green? Uh, <laughs> and it turned out to be, but a little too bright. And then for me, the one thing that I always want to keep together is like the, the merger of technology and nature. Like that sort of imagery and that, that thing I really, you know, we talk about AI, but like you're really, you're trying to, create like, yeah, this beautiful, you know, the natural intelligence of people and, and merge that with the artificial intelligence and how can you make that holistic and beautiful. So uh, I, those are the core pieces that we've got somewhat right. A lot of other things need to be, you know, uh, <laughs> fiddled around with. I apologize for anyone. <laughs> we need to work on the, the green, green hex code we got here because yes. uh, I think so I spent the maximum time uh, building from the scratch and uh, used to see that green said, and uh, I, I told Tyler once time because because with my numbers and with my specs, and also it is with the, the blue sets, the green uh, puts a lot of, uh, uh, it's like sort of efforts on, on my eyes when I, when, I, when I see that screen the whole time. It's like 10 hours, 12 hours a day. That is so much green and the white. So that contrast doesn't add up with my eyes. So it's so much pain. Uh, actually, as, uh, not developing the code, uh, but looking at the green color. So I, I told him, I one was like, I we, need to, we need to work on that at some point to change green to blue or something, or maybe maybe red. <laughs> no, just kidding. But yeah, uh, that's sort of a pain I, I personally feel by looking at the, the green and the white set all the time. If you and if you remember the first iterations of the speak, it was so much more green. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. so green. <laughs> uh, Leon, or Leon would kill us if he saw. I, I don't hope you never have to. Yeah, see we it. used to have the green uh, play icons with the yeah. car, yeah. so you will see at least 20, 20 oh, man. buttons uh, on the on the audio. We, we also used to work in a, a basement office that had a green yes. screen in the room. And one term there was a person who had like a lot of knowledge about color theory, and and he just like you guys are killing yourselves by being in this room besides the green screen i was right beside it he's like look at your screen it's green <laughs> i'm like i had no idea so uh you you realize and that's how much you know intelligence and and like you know people who understand color theory and art oh my god man they bring such a, a beautiful perspective to everything whether it's just contrast and accessibility like that's was talking about or just creating a pleasant experience so we're working on it we're working on it you'll see a green change one day there's gonna be a new hexadecimal <laughs> Um, okay, Lauren, how are you, friend? Uh, what's up, buddy? Good. Um, my topic's probably a bit, uh, a bit long. Um, we've only got about what 15 minutes left on this call here, 
Uh, but I wanted to bring up um, value-based pricing um, and uh, what we feel the, uh, what we think the actual value of the product is versus uh, what the customer or what we believe the customer thinks the value of the product is. And then like what we actually uh, prices out at. Um, I had a conversation with uh, Vatsal probably about a week ago, just over pricing. And uh, I brought up the idea of why don't we just raise our pricing to this amount. And uh, I was actually kind of confused because Vatsal was like, oh my God, you can do that. I was like, yeah, you can just move the price wherever you think is most appropriate to be. Um, so that's, I'm not sure if you guys, I'm certainly like to like to, to the short term, we can stick to the whole 1949 and 99. Um, but also the idea of like, we are developing quite a bit um, but just to say, like, you know, you develop more, you put more stuff on there doesn't exactly mean it's more valuable. It's how, you know, efficient the whole product work. How well does it um, take care of the problem that the customers are facing here? Um, so I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not sure how far we can uh, get here in about 10 minutes or so, but just curious what you guys have to say about um, um, the value that we're adding here. And if you could put like a price tag on it, we have so many different things going on, on the platform especially with like this embeddable recorder now too, which is just kind of given away for free to a degree. I'm just wondering like how much value does that really add? And like, what's, if you could put a price tag on that value, what would it be? That's a, that's a great question. And uh, I remember, I remember our discussion, but uh, if you remember, uh, we, we changed our pricing exactly uh, one year back. So we didn't improve our pricing even once and we added like maybe another 10, 15 small minor changes or major features and solutions we added, but we didn't change the pricing. And, and that, that's why uh, we pushed in the first quarter and at the end in the second quarter, uh, we will add into, the, into the, our product, those changes can be for the embed recording or the text feature, or also we added this webhook integrations, which can help for the CRM systems. So those are the rapid changes. My only concern was if if we change to what what Leon is also doing with the with the uh, design strategies, like okay, let's do and track on the the tools we are using, and let's see what does that go from X percent to the Y percentage, and uh, it's like what would be our strategy when we change the pricing and uh, how we look at it's like okay, if we change something. I don't know if you can come back uh, to that original price. And if so, what would that impact on the business? Because on technological side, it, they are just numbers. But on the business side, it is the value. It is the representations of the product. So if you go high, if you go low, what does that impact on the business? And how do we handle that? Okay. I guess one thing that's interesting to me is just like the value, the some, how much someone could value for the same solution, depending on what cer the circumstances are. And I'll try to keep this concise. The idea may be the embeddable recorder, right? So maybe there's a student who wants to collect recordings for uh, a homework assignment from multiple people. Um, and so when, so if it was free, oh my God, what a wonderful solution. All of a sudden, $15.99 USD a month. Oh my God, this, I, I don't think I can pay for this or, or afford this. This is just not, this is too much. It's just a small homework assignment. Then you go to, for example, maybe a, a development team who's building embeddable recording into an application that their clients paid them $250,000 for. And either they're deciding if they want to custom build that themselves 
and how much that would take, or they can just, they come across our solution and see, wow, we could just use this instead. That could be worth, you know, more than 99 that we could, you know, maybe are pricing it at, at a, at a higher point in our sort of more consumer based plans. And so it's like, depending on who you are, the situation in life and, and, and yeah, just, it can change the value of how you perceive something so much. Um, and that's been something really interesting to me to, to learn along this process. I'd say the other thing, um, nope, I lost it. It's gone. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> It'll come back in five seconds, but that, I'll end on that, like that point, that, that's one thing. <laughs> I got a quick thing to add to this process. I think um, in terms of early stage startup uh, validation, as far as that goes, that's, you know, that's, thing, that's the thing I'm most well-versed in. Usually you start off with proof of concept testing, which is like, you know, does this thing actually solve a real problem? So if so, then you move on to proof of monetization. So will how much are people willing to pay? Will people want to pay for this solution? Uh, that classic example used, Tyler, if it's free, I will use it. If it's, if it's $15.99, I'm not going to use it. We got a proof of concept. We don't have proof, proof of monetization. So how we how typically how companies would want to test that out is like you, you start with increments. You start with like five bucks a month. Um, Netflix, right? $9.99. And then you raise that to $10.99, $11.99. You see, you know, and then you start to see how, how much drop off and where the sweet spot of threshold is for people who uh, want to retain you as a dependent service on a daily basis or on a regular basis. Uh, you typically don't want to go straight to the moon and be like, sorry, guys, we're going to, we're going to, you know, like suck you dry or, <laughs> or keep it free. You want to start with increments. So that's one strategy companies always use. I think it's probably the most effective uh, way to do it. Oh, I'd, that's, oh, that's a go ahead. I'll also see one example, Leon. Uh, I don't want to say a company name, but uh, uh, we were looking for uh, some integrations with them uh, on the uh, product side. And uh, at one time we saw the pricing was X and uh, a week later or two weeks later, we saw it was at 20X. So it was 20X means like whatever, I don't want to say the numbers, but the original price was X dollar. And in two weeks, they changed the pricing to 20X. And a month after we go and the pricing again changed. So that, that I probably believe the company is a VC, a VC backers, like, you know, uh, uh, but it's more about the experiment uh, that what I believe is like, if we do the experiment by quarter, then we might have the better results. And also we can see the quarter, by quarterly, how much we are getting in is like, okay, in the quarter one, quarter two, what is that improvement we see by percentage? And by end of the year, that would be the great, maybe the ideal to see that which one work well. Yeah, That sounds like they don't technically have a strategy. 20X from like, let's say X is one, 20X is $20 a month. Yeah, exactly. They go in three digits and then they change the price. <laughs> uh, are, you seeing, are you seeing that? Like, were you having the conversation internally so you know it's true, or are we seeing that on a landing page? Those are two different things. So you, you might be multivariate tested, like ABC tested, right? And they want to see what generates the most clicks or bounce rates. Or if it's true internally and you know that is that's that's the price that they've set, then that's a different story. So I'm not sure what that is. I'll just add to Lauren's sort of comment. Like you, you talked about how you're, you know, different types of pricing and then how that plays out. But one of the things I think you do have to, especially like, I'll just look at a core level of something that we're doing, which is like transcription. And 
um, because of you know speech to text systems, different applications have become very commodified thing. So there's part of like the value add that you're offering, like on top of that system, but then it's also, are you aligning that pricing with what a competitive, you know, a competitive market looks like, like, uh, and especially the ideal, the idea for us, or the hope is, is like that you're going to add more assets into the system. So if they're audio and video, and you're paying to add those assets in the system, you need to produce value. But if you also have a number that's too high, for example, per minute or per hour, on a fresh entry into, you know, you come and see speak for the first time and you compare across multiple other companies, that might be just a barrier right there for at least for a test we're trying. So there's like a level of <clears throat> differentiating through the system. And we know that we're producing more immense value on top of just the transcription part, but then there's also staying in line and being competitive with a base offering or solution that people are looking for. And I think it's like a complex you know, it's not easy. That's why we haven't got it right yet. Uh, and even Batso and I today before this call, we're uh, have a sort of proposal going out for, and it's like, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> like, how do we do this right to make this, you know, this a compelling deal? We know it is because of everything we've built, but sometimes people get so caught up in a permanent pricing because what they're used to or what they're seeing um, that it then taints the rest of the value of the platform. And I think that's something that we're, uh, you know, working on. And I would just say like there was when Vatso and I first started even building Speak AI, and this is part of the discussion also that Leon brought up about just like back getting back with capital, it allows you to take different strategies. So company I was talking to a funded company, they're actually underpricing everything on purpose to gain market share. Like they, that's, that's what they're doing. That's the strategy. Uh, and um, that's a powerful strategy. Uh, and because you can figure out the triggers that then how you can increase prices. We haven't had that luxury to date. It's like, if we calculate this and even we somehow, we got a boost of signups that could bleed our company dry <laughs> and, and we didn't get the return that we we're looking on. So, um, you know, I think there are different strategies emerge depending on the path of company that you're taking and even how you can, price things. I would like to be a more value offer company, especially with the analysis, the combining of everything, um, the problems that we're trying to solve. And I look at something like SEM rush or something like that, where it's so valuable, <clears throat> like it's 99 bucks a month at a base plan, but like I pay for it. And I know many people who pay for that, um, without a question because the system's so valuable. So that's where I hope to get, we're not quite there yet, but that, that, that is the goal. I don't know if this example makes sense, but uh, let me tell <laughs> For example, when you drive in the, let's say Rolls-Royce, uh, which is my uh, laptop, that image, but if you drive in the Rolls-Royce, and if you drive uh, in any, let's say, uh, $30,000 or $40,000 car, you will you will feel that, right? You will feel the luxury sitting in, the, in that car. So I, I usually also compare with the SaaS product. So if you, if you believe and if you trust that you are providing the value, and if that's a premium features, uh, you don't need to compare with the market pricing sometimes. It's like, if you know that if you are selling the Rolls-Royce, then don't sell at $30,000, sell at 300K. So, I mean, that's my thesis and that's what I believe. But uh, I guess sometimes it just takes time to get the right answer. Test that in the market and see if anyone buys it. <laughs> at that point, you're getting into like luxury pricing. And then that's very much like the whole, going back to Nihal's talk of, you know, brand, the brand is worth something. And at that point you're paying for Hey, look at me, I'm writing around a series, whatever the F. Because I think just going back to some of our early conversations about earning your place at a certain level of like, I guess, like if you're going to 
compare like a status, right? Like you look at that, um, what's that email? Supercharge? Super, superhuman? Superhuman, right? Like they're literally an email service, right? But what's their base plan? 30 bucks a month? Like for, for an email management service, right? When they're basically Gmail, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but, but they're, they're wait, they, yeah but, but but they're wait like they've branded themselves as we are the email provider for ceos right and their wait list is something like a hundred thousand people right so like it really depends on how people perceive your product uh and actually building enough value to justify that price because i'm sure like for someone like them too like let's say they, they're going in with this premium premium pricing first year amazing they make three million dollars right in revenue but then second year people are like why am i paying 30 bucks a month for this right um and i, I guess that'll be part of our our testing as well too yeah and also it's ongoing journey you just need to keep providing the value you need mm -hmm. to stop it at like oh we got that three years down okay now let's try it you just need to keep providing the yeah the consistency is the winning equation here and the deeper you go, the, the realizations that no, no product can solve everything. And you realize how deep each even small niche or problem is, like even within speech to text, depending on language or how you need that data structured, or like there's so many problems that one vendor can solve that another one can't. There's this weird, you know, apparatus that you can say, oh, no solution actually solves the problem that you're looking for. And then that's where there are really big value adds that can be worth a lot, a lot of money if you if you set it up right. So we'll continue to hone in on that. We won't do this today, but I thought so you've made me think of like what kind what kind of vehicle, what vehicle model is speak right now? <laughs> and where do we want it to be? I don't have an answer for that, but maybe what <laughs> I don't even know if I want to hear anyone's answer. <laughs> Okay, so we're past time here. This is a wonderful uh, conversation, though. Is there anything else that anyone wants to bring up just to, to, to wrap this up? It's all good. Sure. Uh, just last thought. Uh, we talk about the, uh, from Leon's point, about the, uh, the bootstrapping to the branding. And uh, just wanted to say one last thing is like, uh, it's a quote from the life of an entrepreneur can be brutally difficult, but nobody talks about it because uh, it's so much alone uh, when you when you do the bootstrapping or even the VC stuff, uh, but just don't give up, keep doing what you're doing. And if you believe, uh, just be honest and uh, things will work it out. Beautiful. Okay. I think that's good then. All right. Office Hour 17, everyone. Thank you so much for joining. Thank, Thank you so for much. listening. Thank you for watching. Great to see you.